0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. Happy weekend, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. We have a jam-packed show for you this weekend talking all things money. But I wanted to start the show talking about something that most of us can't relate to. Billionaires. Billionaires buying sports franchises. The Ottawa Senators are for sale, and there has been an incredible amount of celebrity interest in buying this sports team. Snoop Dogg is in the running. The weekend is in the running. Uh, many members of CBC's Dragon Den Manjeet Minhas, Arlene Dickinson, all these names that we've come to know as being sort of heavy hitters, real business people in Canada and the United States, want a piece of the Ottawa Senators. And part of that is because buying a sports franchise has historically been a money maker. Eugene Melnick, the Canadian businessman who first bought the Ottawa Senators back in 2003, bought it for $130 million Canadian. He passed away last year, and his daughters then inherited that sports franchise, and they have now put it up for sale. The bids are coming in at almost 10 times that amount. There is supposedly a bid on the table for the Ottawa Senators at $1.2 billion. So celebrities see this as a good investment, as a way to create another stream of income. So, yes, it can be really difficult for us to relate to celebrities and hundreds of millions of dollars being thrown around. But what we can take from this is that as everyday investors, we should always be looking to invest our money. We shouldn't be solely depending on our income, the money that we make in our nine to five job. So if your job for some reason, if you were laid off or you lost your job or you weren't able to do your job, if you have other streams of income, be it stocks that you've invested in, a small business that you bought, a real estate property that you own. Now, I know these things are really easy to say. You may be listening and saying, ah, where's this money going to come from? All this money, Rabina, to buy all these investments, to create all these streams of income. And I'm not saying that Canadians are finding it hard uh, to even fathom buying an investment right now. But what I really want to press upon everybody is that it's really important to see your income as a way to invest to create other income. So maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not even a year from now, but always be working towards creating investment out of the money that you earn, whether that's saving into your RRSP, your TFSA, whether that's getting a down payment together to buy a real estate property that you can then rent out which then creates a stream of income, start thinking in that way. The problem that many of us get into is that we live paycheck to paycheck. So whether you make $50,000 or $500,000, if you spend all the money you make, you haven't built any wealth. And if you really want to build wealth, you have to think about how you can use the money that you are earning in your regular job to create streams of income. And that can be different for people across Canada. It can mean something different in Vancouver and in Moncton and in Toronto, in the Yukon. You know, it really depends on where you live and the opportunities that are available to you. You definitely want to speak to a financial advisor. You definitely want to take advantage of any business loans that are out there if you are thinking of buying, say, a small business. Uh, But take some inspiration. You know, The weekend, for example, might think, well, one day my music might fall out of favor. And I need to have another stream of income to support this fabulous lifestyle I've set up for myself. Snoop Dogg, that guy's been around for decades. It's hard to think that he wouldn't be able to make money. But there may come a time where people aren't listening to his music. People aren't really, he's not making new music to sell. Maybe he doesn't want to tour anymore. So all of those things that used to make him money may not be available to him anymore. And so if he has a piece of a company of a franchise that's bringing in income, he can rest easy knowing that he can continue to support the lifestyle he's set up for himself. And that is really my message, is that it's not about wanting to be like the other guy. And it's not about wanting to make more money or live this rich, fabulous lifestyle. It's about being able to maintain the lifestyle you've set up for yourself, especially if you're happy in it. You know, finding happiness in what we have is really part of financial wellness it's part of financial health sometimes that feeling of always wanting what others have can create a lot of anxiety because there's always going to be someone with a bigger house more money in the bank account a better car that's always going to be around doesn't matter doesn't matter how rich you get elon musk there are still people that he is like ooh I wish I had what that guy had right if you always think in that way, you're never really going to be taking care of your financial wellness. But if you are happy in the lifestyle you've created for yourself and you really want to protect it, one way to do that is to create streams of income. So, speak to your financial advisor, see what's available to you, see how you can start just saving small amounts of money to work towards those goals so that real wealth is built when you're sleeping and you're making money. So, you're sleeping and your stocks are doing well, you're sleeping and your real estate investments are still. Uh, chugging along, you're still collecting that rent. You're not actually actively doing anything to make the money. It's happening passively, passive income, right? That's the real way to build wealth in this world. We have a fantastic show ahead. We are going to be speaking to the host of a podcast called the New Money Podcast. And he's really breaking down this new study that says Gen Z or Gen Z, as we should probably say in Canada, um don't really have a lot of financial confidence when it comes to the investments that they are choosing. So he really on his podcast tries to give young people the best advice when it comes to investing and give them the confidence to really manage their money on their own. I'm going to get his reaction to that report and get some idea of how if you are someone that lacks confidence in their financial decisions, how you can seek out the best resources and the ones that are more trusted. And we're going to be Replaying an interview we did last year with Matea Roach. And the reason we're doing that is because she has made it all the way through and is right now on the Jeopardy's Masters Tournament. So I'll be replaying that interview where she talks about how she managed her first windfall of more than 500 million US dollars that she won on Jeopardy. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Rabina Ahmad Haq, and this is for What It's Worth. Baby, I
1: You're listening to For What It's Worth
0: with Robina Ahmed-Hawk. A new survey by the Cooperators Group, a leading financial services provider, finds Canadians aged 18 to 44 are struggling when it comes to making financial decisions. It found of all the people that they surveyed, only 26% are actually confident In the financial decisions that they're making for themselves. So this is a huge problem for anyone that's trying to navigate themselves through this time when the economy is wonky, when the stock market is wonky, and a lot of people are worried about just paying their day-to-day bills. Well, someone who is really working hard on trying to get Canadians to save more money and think more about their finances is Nathan Kennedy. He's a content creator, financial enthusiast, and the host of the new money podcast welcome to the program nathan
1: thank you so much it's honestly a pleasure to be here
0: yeah i want to just first start by asking you uh what's your reaction only 26 percent of canadians that the cooperatives group surveyed said yeah i'm pretty confident in the money decisions that i'm making
1: you know what i i wish i wish i could say i'm surprised but i'm, I'm really not i think um Right now, the state of, of how everything feels, I mean, the, no, the most pertinent example of that I feel like young Canadians um, really look at is the real estate market across the country. Uh, it's getting more and more unaffordable. And that's usually, I feel like everybody uh, relates their sort of uh, financial health to if they own property or not. Now, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that sort of evaluation, but that's how most people sort of measure themselves up. And because uh, that market has been so uh, aspirational. It's been quite tough uh, to get into, especially the major markets. Um, a lot of Canadians feel like they're they're behind or they're a ways away, and so I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. And whenever I talk to or you know I, I interact with quite a lot of young Canadians, like that's the number one thing. They're trying to save for a down payment. They're trying to learn more about the first home savings account. Like how can they borrow against their RSP? The first home buyers. Everything is all around real estate. Uh, and I also think. Um, Generally, you know, the economy right now, uh, inflation starting to cool off a bit, but it, it was quite expensive for quite some time. And so a lot of folks were thinking that, uh, you know, their finances were getting away from them. And so I think a lot of like a lot of surveys, it, it depends when the survey is taken to, to find uh, sentiment. But uh, I am finding that a lot of a lot of Canadians do are kind of being like, OK, like, man, I really got some stuff to figure out here because a, a lot of stuff is seems to be getting away from us.
0: You know, often, Nathan, when I'm watching your Instagram, um, I'm learning a lot, like how uh, how to protect myself by using certain credit cards, what to do when I'm traveling, um, if my flight gets canceled, for example, how to uh, be savvy when it comes to negotiating your salary. There's a whole bunch of tidbits in there that I think people just need to sometimes be reminded of, like we may even be aware of it, but just good reminders of these are the things that you should be doing when you're negotiating a salary. Um, do you find, you, are you finding... Finding information that's easy uh, to find is it is it is it a lack of sort of curiosity that people are not uh, arming themselves with financial literacy?
1: One hundred percent. I think all the information's out there, from point A to point. Like like everything is out there. It's just so. Uh, monotonous and boring and plain and it's just like people cannot be bothered and so I try to create like stories like I, if you've ever seen any of my videos online like it's uh some skits sometimes where somebody's there's some sort of tension or there's some sort of problem or let's say let's take the salary negotiation like it's the boss and it's the employee and it's the them sort of going back and forth in negotiation and, and you know it's entertaining in a sense but therein lies like the sort of vegetables of like the, the 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 thing that i'm trying to get across is like first of all it's okay to negotiate a lot of folks don't realize that you can actually ask your boss for more money and like it's okay it's not this like ungrateful thing and i'm showing i'm trying to exemplify some of the stuff that i, I share rather than just being like here are five tips do these things it's like i'll just act it out for you i, I think all that information is out there uh, with with respect to financial issues people that have been doing it for years and years decades that have have gone at great lengths to share uh, whether it's career stuff or financial stuff or real estate or whatever it's all out there it's just a matter of um trying to find people where and meet people where they are and for me i try to talk to young canadians young canadians are on instagram they're on tiktok they're on youtube uh and so that's that's why i create the content there a lot uh, as well as the podcast uh, to try to make it just plain English, like, hey, like, here's some things to think about.
0: We're speaking to Nathan Kennedy. He's the host of the New Money podcast. And on Instagram, you can find him at Nate New Money. Uh, Nate, I want to ask you what's something that you've learned in your journey uh, try, trying to find information that will help Canadians save money that really surprised you? Is it something that you just went, huh, I never even knew that?
1: Well, there's a lot of. Um, so I guess, societal, uh, uh, I guess, norms that I didn't really realize uh, I was, I guess, outside of. So how do I say this? Basically, there's, sometimes I'll make a video about a topic that seems quite obvious to me, and I'll get a lot of pushback, or i get a lot of, like, you know, people that are sort of arguing. Uh, I remember a year or two ago, I made a video on uh, car insurance, and I said, hey, like, maybe collision and comprehensive doesn't make sense for some folks and you can save the money because if you have a, you know, a $500 or a thousand dollar clunker, insuring that might not make the most sense. And I got destroyed. Like a lot of people were just, oh, up in arms about this and that. The fact that I was even talking about insurance or, uh, you know, making a video about it, like just absolutely blew some people's minds. The salary negotiation stuff. A lot of folks disagree with me on that. Um, I've never, I didn't really realize that a lot of, like a lot of what I do is trying to break that sort of perception that people have that they can't, they, what they can and can't do. Uh, and there's a lot, another one, for example, is negotiating your bills. A lot of pushback on that. I say, hey, call up Bell, call up Tellus, call up Rogers, uh, and you can actually negotiate and try to get yourself a better deal. A lot of people disagree with me on that. There's these sort of like fixed mindsets that uh, I find that some Canadians have. Um, and, and I try to make videos challenging them to say like, hey, you do have the power and, and try to empower them to go and make some of those decisions that... Yes, it's maybe a few bucks here and there, but it really does add up over time. Um, All I really do is try to empower folks to to go out and take action uh, and say, "Hey, like these are things that you can actually do, and they can action move the needle for you."
0: Um, Part Mm. of this uh, survey that was done by Cooperators Group found that many people, uh, young people, are are reluctant to invest or reluctant to get information because they simply don't think they have the money. To actually even invest uh, anywhere, what do you say to that? Uh, someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, maybe has student debt, and you're. We're, I'm saying to them, oh, well, you know, start building your wealth, start putting money away. Uh, but they're mm-hmm. looking at me like, huh? Where's that money going to come from? What do you, you're a young person, uh, probably you know managing all of these things as well. What do you say to them? Those people who just feel like there's a roadblock and I can't get past it.
1: Personally, I completely understand. Uh, life is tough, man. There's a lot of expenses. There's a lot of people that are asking for money, not many people that are giving it to you. So I totally understand uh, where people are coming from and I try my best to to empathize and, and, and get that. Now, I do think that never before in history has investing been easier. I mean, there's so many platforms out there that you can sign up for free and just uh, uh, open a TFSA, start buying some assets, some stocks, ETFs, things like that, uh, and getting started. Now, obviously, you, you want to go out and educate yourself, uh, whether that's um, courses online, talking to an advisor to to figure out like uh, what makes the most sense for you and in your investing journey. But I think there are platforms like Wealth and Bill Trade, Quest Trade, uh, even some of the big banks uh, are, are starting to lower their commissions uh, fees and, and make it more accessible for Canadians to get started. So it's not a matter of. Um, uh, Barriers in a financial sense, like it's not you don't have to go and get a, a stockbroker and call him and pay him like a hundred dollars in fees per trade anymore. Like it's 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 quite opened up in that sense. It's more about equipping yourself with the 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 knowledge to actually go out and do that. But the the logistical stuff, um, it, it, it's it's never been easier. So now if you know they're they're living paycheck to paycheck, they don't have much money to spare. I I, I generally think that just doing the action and starting very small whether it's inconsequential the money you put in when you when you get started right like 10 20 30 50 bucks but just getting the sort of uh locomotive like going uh is, is is a huge thing not because of the financial you know outcome but you're you're starting to build the habit and as you start to build some breathing room for yourself you're able to contribute more and more and more over time and so i you know i i made a video last week about compound interest and, you know, if you start from 20 to 30, you put 500 a month every single month and you stop at 30 and somebody starts at 30 and they put 500 a month every single month until they're 65. The person who just started at 20 to 30 and stopped will outperform them uh, if, if, if they're investing the same thing, they get the same return. Right. And it, it, it's, it's a matter of just time in the market. So the sooner that you can get in, you'll exponentially make more money. Even if the even if and then like that's what I said to young folks, too, it's like, sure, you could wait until you're 30, but ne- then you need to like double or triple your you know, investment that you need to put in uh, to make up for that because of uh, the time that you missed out on. So even starting small when you're quite uh, young uh, can really uh, lead to some big stuff down the line.
0: Nathan, you and I speak the same language. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you uh, and getting your perspective on this report that shows that yet yeah, many young Canadians just don't have the confidence when it comes to investing. And I know that you are a great resource for young people. If you want to find Nathan, you can um, hear him on his podcast, the New Money Podcast, or on Instagram at Nate New Money. Nathan, thanks so much for joining the show today.
1: It was a pleasure, being And honestly, I'm, I'll come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks so much again. That's Nathan Kennedy. He is a content creator, financial enthusiast, and like I said, host of the New Money Podcast. Flexing that money muscle, right? That savings muscle. It's just like going to the gym. Once you're in the habit of it, if you haven't gone to the gym for a couple of weeks, your body kind of says, mm, I got to get moving again. But you have to sort of build that habit so that when you are in a position where you have time you can you find time to go to the gym it's just like money if you're constantly saving just a little bit when you make more you automatically increase your savings cuz you know that's the right thing to do you've already started working on that habit of saving money and increasing your savings when you do earn more. That was really nice to talk to Nathan, um, and he's a great resource for any young person that's just trying to find some really bite-sized information on how they can save money in today's really turbulent economic times. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about food inflation in this country and a new report that says Canadians are actually not paying the highest amount for groceries compared to other places like the EU and the United States. I'll have that report and break down uh, some of their findings uh, after the break. I'm Rabina ahmed Hawk, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth
1: with Rabina ahmed Hoc.
0: Mateo Roach has made it to the final round of Jeopardy! Masters Tournament. The Canadian has been a fan favorite since first appearing on the game show last year. I had a chance to speak to Matea back in December about her incredible 23 win on the show and what it felt like to win more than 500 million U.S. dollars. If you're a fan of Jeopardy, Canadians fell in love with contestant Matea Roach. She's whip smart, affable, and the winner of 23 games in a row. A uh, young woman coming into a lot of money uh, very early in her life, just it, just in her early 20s, all of a sudden walking away with $560,000 US, which is about $760,000 a Canadian. And that can be life-changing, especially if you're at the the beginning of your career, uh, of the things that you can do with that money. And it's not always a game show that can bring you this money. It could be an inheritance. You could win the lottery. You could even just get a really big promotion at work. So what do you do when all of a sudden you come into a lot of money in a very short amount of time? How do you spend that money and how do you manage it so it lasts you longer than maybe a couple of months and St. Bart's and a a fancy car. You really want to take care of that as a show that focuses on personal finance and workplace and becoming more financially well. I wanted to invite Matea Roach, Jeopardy winner, 23 game winner onto the program uh, to tell us about how she is managing her newfound wealth and her newfound fame. Matea, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: But yeah, it was such a joy to watch you uh, in, in the beginning of 2022. You know, with the pandemic still around, it was just a bright light at 730 in the evening for us to sit down and just watch you during right after dinner. Uh, my whole family was into it. I just wanted to start the show by saying how proud we are that a Canadian got this far and uh, you are the most successful Jeopardy contestant from Canada ever. So I just wanted to start by saying that.
2: Oh, thank you. I I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it, so it's meant a lot uh, that people have had so much fun watching me have that experience because I was having the time of my life taping those episodes.
0: Yeah, and it it showed. It really did show in your answers and those little sort of conversations that you have with the host in between. It really did show how much you were enjoying yourself. You walked away with a pretty uh, big sum of money, 23 games you won in a row, $760,000 Canadian how how what is the first thing that you did once that money uh, came into your possession what, what's the first thing you did with that cash
2: uh well the first thing I actually had to do was open a new bank account because the check comes to you in American dollars of course because it's an American game show and so I didn't want to deposit that check into a Canadian account and then have just the conversion of the day you know, determine how much money I was actually going to get, right? Because I had this additional factor of having to think, how can I convert this into Canadian dollars in a way that's going to be advantageous? Do I even want to convert it into Canadian dollars right now? Uh, so I had to open account, an account that would accept uh, US dollar deposits was the first thing. Um, And then the f- next thing that I tried to do was I uh, set up some meetings with people who could help me figure out how to invest the money because I knew I wanted to not really spend most of it. It was not quite enough money that I felt like it made sense for me to buy property right away. And also I'm young enough that I don't think I'm ready really for the responsibility of property ownership, frankly. Um, And so, yeah, I was setting up meetings with financial advisors, which previously I'd done kind of all of my investing and in financial management on my own. So that was a change.
0: And Matea, I know you mentioned uh, when you won your first uh, thirty odd thousand dollars that you said, "Well, my student loans are paid off now." Is that is that something that you did with the money? Was get yourself out of debt uh, right away?
2: Um, actually, no, because so back in April of twenty twenty, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, or actually, yeah, I guess there, there, at some point during the pandemic, anyhow, there was a temporary pause on student loans that was implemented. I think it was actually April twenty twenty one that they that they paused interest payments. Mm, that's right. So, um, And so now that's actually going to be extended to a permanent uh, pause on interest on federal student loans. So I had long since paid off the provincial portion of my loan. Um, Since I was like a Nova Scotian student at the time that I was taking on debt, those provincial loans are administered separately. And so you can actually decide, okay, I'm going to make advance payments to my provincial or my federal because it's two different agencies that manage them. So... You know, that's gone. I now only have the federal loan, um, which now is not going to accrue interest. So I thought to myself, like, why bother paying off this loan that's not even accumulating interest? And I can just continue making monthly payments on it. And then that way, the money that would have gone towards servicing that debt, I can hold in investments, I can do other things with it. But it is nice to know that if for whatever reason, um, I know a lot of folks that have, for instance, other kinds of debt, mortgages, what have you, um, are definitely concerned about interest rates spiking. So if that were to ever happen to me, the only debt I have is that loan. And it's nice knowing that I could pay it off um, just in the blink of an eye if I wanted to.
0: That is a very savvy decision that you made because a lot of people, when they have debt, whether it's incurring interest or not, uh, their feeling is, I just got to get this paid down. I've got to get this closed up. But to know that that money works better if I invest it somewhere and I just make the payments as I'm supposed to, why would I pay this down? Because it's not going to pay me back anything because I'm not actually paying any interest on it. Was that advice you got from your financial advisor or was that something that you knew on your own?
2: No, that's something I just knew to do anyway. Um, I actually, my mom was, she just retired last month, but she was for more than 30 years uh, employed by the CRA and she was an auditor. So (laughs) I was raised to be pretty financially aware. Um, And so even before I came into a lot of money, you know, I always knew I had a great financial advisor in my mom. So yeah, the decision to not pay off the loan debt right away wasn't actually a discussion I had with the financial advisor. I think I kind of, I think I mentioned it and then she was like, yeah, that makes sense. But it wasn't her suggestion. It was something that I thought to do on my own.
0: Matea, you've been doing all the right things with your money. It sounds like, uh, you know, like you said, taking advice from your mom, who is, you know, if, if someone who works for the CRA for thirty years is a much better, uh, a much better at managing their money, probably than ninety nine percent of Canadians because they've seen it all. But a lot of people come into money that may not have those uh, that 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 knowledge, that financial literacy. What would be your advice to somebody who um, has inherited all of a sudden, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, and they don't they don't know what what to do with it they don't know what the first step should be
2: um I think the first thing is to find people not necessarily advisors right because even the prospect of finding a financial advisor I think can be kind of difficult because if you're completely new to the notion of having to manage money it's hard to know well who's going to give me advice right it's difficult to differentiate between different services and that sort of thing So what I definitely tried to do was think of, well, who are people in my life that I really trust to give me good advice with money? I'm lucky that I have a great relationship with my family. I knew that people weren't, you know, the sharks weren't going to start circling looking for money from me or anything like that. Um, And I was used to having open conversations, uh, especially with my mom, but with my dad as well about money and, and how it should be managed. So for me, like those were the people that I relied on. I had a couple of friends that I knew as well were trustworthy and maybe they hadn't had a similar experience, but would at least be good people to bounce ideas off of. So I think that that's the critical thing is, is talk about it and think about it, right? Because I think finances are stressful for a lot of folks, even when you have something positive happen, like coming into money, uh, if it's in the context of an inheritance, maybe you're also dealing with the stress of losing a loved one and having to make funeral arrangements and and doing all of these other things that can sort of muddy the waters a little bit. So find people that are going to be your supports and make sure that you actually like, Manage things quickly because the last thing you want to do with something like an inheritance is like have an estate that's disputed for a really long time. Like I've seen that happen uh, before. And it's 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 always just messy. So get on top of it, even though it's hard. Uh, you won't regret it in the long run. I think would be my advice.
0: We are speaking to Matea Roach. Anyone who is a fan of Jeopardy will recognize that name. She is the most successful Canadian contestant ever to be on that game show. She won. Uh, three quarters of a million Canadian dollars. So a lot of money that she walked away from. And we're talking to her about how she's managing this money, this windfall that she won in just 23 games. Um, How has that changed her life? How has that changed her spending habits? We will have more with Matea Roach when we come back after this break. And I want to ask her, has she done anything fun with this money? Has she bought something frivolous with this money? Speaking to Matea Roach, 23-time winner of Jeopardy, walked away with $560,000 US, equivalent to three quarters of a million Canadian dollars. Matea, I wanted to hear from you. Since winning this money, have you done anything fun for yourself? Have you spent it on something that maybe you felt was unaffordable before you came into all this cash?
2: No, honestly. I think that Most of what I've spent the money on. So I've spent very little of the winnings. Um, I try to, I've, I've spent like maybe $10,000 out of it. Um, at most. And a lot of that was on things that I would have likely at some point had to buy anyway. Like I bought a new phone because my old phone was down to about three hours battery life and right. I thought well, <laughs> I could not stand. Um, so, you know, I bought a new phone outright, as opposed to being locked into a contract and doing the monthly payment way of, of doing things. I had to buy some new armchairs for my living room. So I bought slightly nicer armchairs than I might've bought otherwise. Um, after taping the Tournament of Champions, I went on vacation in California uh, for about a week and a half after, as opposed to coming immediately back home. So it's, you know, the vacation was probably the biggest thing on net. But even then, I spent some of that time where I was away staying with a friend and not spending super frivolously you know at the at the five-star hotel like going to the most fancy restaurant every night there was a lot of diner food um you know I'm a pretty simple person and I I have never really like yearned to spend money on extravagant things so I think that makes it easy to not ball out when you do suddenly have a lot of money I will say I do go to the record store a lot more than I used to because I used to feel just so guilty about buying records like it felt really frivolous mm-hmm. and now it's nice like Again, I'm, I'm not going nuts or anything, but it's nice to not feel that sense of guilt just buying even smaller things that are a real treat.
0: Now being on TV, which is different than someone who wins the lottery or or uh, wins uh, or gets an not wins but gets an inheritance from a from a relative, um, has also opened up other opportunities. Tell us what you're doing right now. Uh, the new opportunities that you've been able to 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 take advantage of since 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 this uh, since this twenty three game uh, winning streak.
2: Yeah. So specifically, the the main thing that I'm doing right now, as a result of having been on television, is I have had the opportunity to actually host a podcast. So I'm hosting a show called The Backbench, which is one of um I'm, if any listeners are Candleland supporters, uh, it's one of Candleland shows. Um, and so what it is is it's a Canadian politics-focused show, and every two weeks we bring in a panel of folks from across Canada. Typically, we try and get some different political tendencies, and we discuss. Uh, you know, issues that really affect Canadians. So this week, our episode was talking about kind of the conclusion of the Emergencies Act inquiry, but we've also talked about, you know, inflation. We've talked about the protests that have been going on in Iran and what the relationship is to the Iranian diaspora in Canada. Uh, We've talked about the Conservative leadership election that happened uh, back in September. So that's been a lot of fun, and that's not something I would have had the opportunity to do without sort of the public recognition of having been on television, um, and then, you know, I've also had like literary agents that approached me, so I'm working on a book proposal right now, and hopefully, I can get my act together <laughs> and finish writing that. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting about the position that I'm in is because I was sort of not even really settled into a career at the time that I was on Jeopardy. I was like literally waiting to hear back about law school applications. I think that I don't even really know what sorts of opportunities you know, even like, say, five years down the line might come up as a result of the things that I'm doing right now as a result of Jeopardy, right, that butterfly effect, I think, is going to be really significant. And that's something that's a little bit different, I think, for me, as compared to somebody who has that sort of Jeopardy experience, perhaps a little bit later in their life, and they're already settled in a career, maybe they leave that career, but it's like, they're not building their entire, you know, 40 year, 50 year, whatever career, and, you know, entirely in the shadow of having been on television.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, you're, you're, you will always be known as the Jeopardy winner, but you can build on that uh, for throughout your career. And you know, whether you go to law school or not, uh, there will be all these opportunities that come up because it's just an interesting story. People always want to hear about something that happened um, that is positive that happened on television. And being Canadian, I think that you're always going to have people uh, stopping you and asking you about questions about your experience on Jeopardy, probably throughout your entire life, Matea. Thank you so much for joining us. And I gotta say, it's so refreshing to hear a young person, 23 years old, I believe you are, um, you know, being so sensible with their money. A lot of people would have taken that money and done a lot of different things with it. Uh, but it's it's really um it's really nice to hear that you're being so frugal with it and knowing that, you know, you know, it doesn't last forever, even if it's a large sum of cash, you can easily blow it very quickly if you're not taking care of it.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks to my mom for making sure I was raised sensibly.
0: (laughs) From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till you're listening to For What It's Worth
1: with Robina Ahmed-Hawk.
0: Well, we're almost at the end of our show. I want to thank everybody who tuned in and listened to our conversations. It was really great to speak to Nathan Kennedy, the host of the New Money podcast, to put into perspective what young people are facing right now, the anxieties that they're uh, feeling from what's happening with the real estate market, what's happening with prices, and how for many people, that is really eroding their ability to move forward and also taking away their confidence when it comes to making financial decisions. There's so much information out there right now that it can be hard to focus in on what you really need to know. Nathan is a great resource. I really highly, I do highly recommend his podcast as a place to go, especially for young people to find just little tidbits of how you can better navigate yourself uh, through this world right now and save some money along the way. Uh, Before I let you go, though, I wanted to talk about this new report by Ubuy. So this is a research company, an international research company that uh, looked at data from across the globe when it comes to grocery prices. Now, last week, we got inflation data that showed that inflation actually perked up in the month of April at 4.4%. Economists were expecting a lot less. And in fact. Uh, The fact that inflation has been going down for the last few months, it was a surprise. And one of the main reasons is grocery prices remain persistently high. So we're paying more for everyday items like milk and eggs. Uh, One of the big ones is oils. So like things like olive oil and other vegetable oils, these have gone up in price by almost 20% year over year. But according to YouBuy's research... Average inflation internationally of the countries that they looked at, so they looked at the UK, they looked at the United States, they looked at European Union countries, and they found that average inflation has gone up actually 18.2% across the countries that they looked at. And in Canada, our food inflation has been 8.9% in the same 12-month period. Now, that's cold comfort for anybody that's struggling to pay their bills and still finding groceries Unaffordable. But it does put into perspective that food inflation is happening everywhere. It's not just happening in Canada. It's not just happening in North America. It's happening across the globe. And there are places where food inflation is higher. It is more dramatic. And sometimes these are places that don't have the same economy as Canada. Here in Canada, we do enjoy uh, a robust economy where we can rely on our economic systems. And in many places, especially in the European Union, with the war in Ukraine and other things that are happening, uh, there's a lot of disruptions that residents have to deal with on top of the fact that food and gasoline prices have continued to climb uh, more dramatically than they have in Canada. So this was interesting uh, research done by UBI that finds that inflation in Canada, we are not at the highest when it comes to all the countries that they looked at. In fact, we are second lowest overall when it came to food prices in the 12-month period that they they looked at. So uh, some of the things in Canada that have gone up in price, edible oils, 19.3%, tea, I'm a big tea drinker, 14.5%. 14.5%. Pasta products, 14%. Bread, 13 Eggs, also 11%. Uh, but if you just lens out, if you just kind of widen out that lens a little bit, edible oils has actually in Canada gone up 50% in the last five years. We're paying 50% more for that same olive oil than we were five years ago. And according to this research, we're still not paying as much as some of our partners in the UK and in the EU, uh, in the nations across the EU. So cold comfort, but still something for us to know and understand when we are at the grocery store, that it could be a lot worse. Uh, Some takeaways from today, um, Nathan, of course, breaking down that a lot of times because people feel like... There is no way forward when it comes to buying a home or they've become so used to the way that they do things, we often end up spending more money. He used the example of insurance. As some of us just get comprehensive car insurance regardless of the kind of car we drive. And so there are things that we can do in our lives, really drill down as to, you know, is everything that we are paying for actually serving us so all you know, I've often said people are overinsured. So is the insurance that you have actually reflective of the the life that you are living? Is the where it, where you shop, is that the best place for you to get deals on groceries, on household items, on furniture? So are you looking, are you drilling down into the, the the places where you can get best value? And that doesn't often mean the cheapest, it just means the best value. Sometimes you can buy things a little bit more expensive, but they last longer. And so that actually ends up saving you money in the long run. And I love that replay of Mateo Roach's interview. We're cheering her on as she has made the final round of Jeopardy Masters Tournament. When this show airs on the weekend, we'll know how far she got, but uh, really hoping that she goes all the way. She is a Canadian darling and someone that I personally have really come to enjoy watching. And I think a lot of Canadians would agree. So uh, cheering her on as we see her uh, compete against the best of the best. In the in the game show uh, and also her conversation you know of that more than half a million us dollars that she won she's actually been quite frugal about it very very sensible with her money so good lesson for anyone that comes into uh, money uh, whether it be an inheritance or a lottery win or money from a game show if you come into a lot of money very quickly um, she's a good example of how you should really spend it conservatively so you make it last. Don't uh, don't uh, squander your fortune away because you can really do great things with it if you just hold on to it. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks so much to the audience for tuning in for the last hour. I hope you got something out of all those conversations. Thanks to James Petrovich for being our technical producer this week. We will see you here next week. Same time, same channel. Have a great weekend. I'm Rubina Ahmad Hoc, and this is For What It's Worth.